A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. is a form of treatment, not imprisonment in the ordinary sense, so every boy has a job. They're kept for a minimum of nine months, or till the authorities believe they can be released with a very good chance of going straight. Many youngsters from Borstals find good jobs and get over their bad start. Skilled and unskilled work... Devaney was a complete psychopath, sadist, and got pleasure in humiliating young kids. A Porter Ferryman has been convicted of torturing teenagers. A former prison guard who brutally and repeatedly beat up teenage boys at a juvenile detention centre in South Gloucestershire has today been sentenced to his own term in jail. His victims described him as a monster and a psychopath. The 81-year-old has been jailed after inflicting a reign of terror on boys sentenced to a borstal. He would physically attack you with medicine balls. He had a bat he used to hit you with. You used to cut the electric flex and there was a thick electric flex and he used to get you to hold the monkey bars and he'd smack you on the backside with that. Patrick Devaney even named his torture tools. His cruelty included sick games like murder ball, beating kids with cricket bats, even sustained racial abuse. One of the things the judge also said is that Devaney, during the games of Murderball, would often pit the teams as such on, on racial lines as well. Um, so as well as physical abuse, there was psychological abuse and indeed much verbal abuse. His victims, hidden for half a century, have now got justice and a chance to tell their story. I'm joined by my Belfast Telegraph colleague, Liam Tunney, and by Andrew Parsons, who suffered under Devaney as a young teenager. Liam, you're welcome to the Bell Tale. Thanks Liam, very much, here. Who is Patrick Devaney? Um, Patrick Devaney is, an, he's 81 now, um, he's a Northern Ireland man who, uh, during the 1970s and 80s, worked as a... I suppose as, in some ways as a prison officer, originally as a PE instructor in the Juvenile Detention Centre, or Borstal, as it would have been known then, at Eastwood Park in Gloucester, in England. Um, this That's one of a number of institutions in which Devaney worked. I mean, he worked in different prisons up and down um, in parts of England and, and Wales, indeed. Um, and then he came back to Northern Ireland to settle in his older age. Um, he has been convicted of subjecting young boys to racial physical and psychological abuse while working at Eastwood Park. And the abuse 
it, it spanned a number of years. It lasted from kind of 1970 to 1983. And I mean, that's what he was convicted of. Um, there were a number of witnesses in court who gave evidence. There were plenty more who, who didn't give evidence. So there, I mean, the scale of this is, is huge in some ways. One of the interesting facts, I suppose, that I've read about this story is that his family actually lived basically on site with him. Prisoners would see him kissing his wife and kids uh, goodbye. He seemed a great family man. And then he would go to work and he would inflict pain and torture on these young men. Now, let's be honest, he's been found guilty. Let's remind people he's been found guilty. So even by the standards of the time, he's been found guilty of this. Mm-hmm. He has been found guilty. The charge was uh, misconduct in public office, which seems a very low-key uh, description when you look at the crimes that he was actually convicted of. Um, there were 22 witnesses gave evidence, as I say, and they were subjected to almost daily beatings. Um, a number of the victims who gave evidence in court said that they remember Devaney, as you say, in the morning, kissing his wife and kids in the house at the other side of the, the fence, coming into work, and as they described it, subjecting boys to abuse all day, every day, and then at the end of the day, almost clocking out and just going back to his, his normal life as such. And it's something the judge described as a dichotomy of thinking um, in Devaney's head about what he was doing. I mean, he, in so, his head... So what was he doing? Let's just, just detail this. Now, we, we, I mean, some of this may be distressing, but we have to explain what this was. Mm-hmm. It's important to also remember at that point that the penal system was known as a short sharp shock um, the boys who were in his care and that's the words the judge used had been convicted of kind of minor misdemeanors maybe shoplifting minor theft that kind of thing but for that they got six weeks in, in what was known as the borstal at that point and it's then when they met Devaney whose, whose official role was a PE instructor he was in charge of the gym so we had the, the boys in there were three sessions a day of, of grueling physical activity and I mean that's the only the start of, of what he subjected the boys to they were subjected to beatings, um, his hands, his his feet, as the judge said, and also a, a variety of weapons, um, some of which he actually named. I mean, this gave pe- people some idea of just how cruel he actually was. I mean, he had pet names for these implements of torture, and torture was the word that the judge used. Delivering his sentence, the judge called Devani a cruel man who'd taken sadistic pleasure in routinely abusing boys for whom he was responsible. He called it psychological taunting and torture, adding he didn't think for a moment that the word torture was too strong. Is there any indication he enjoyed this? It's hard really to say. What the judge said was that he fervently believed that this was the best way of doing it. Um, the judge also said at one point that he took a I suppose he, the judge did say he took a sadistic pleasure in 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 his work as, as he would have seen it. He was an exponent of the short sharp shock. He, I mean the judge said he spoke in glowing terms about it and said it was a success and that it worked but I mean it, it clearly didn't. These boys were coming out with severe psychological issues. There were, a number of them had relationship issues um, some had nightmares so vivid that their their partner couldn't sleep in the same room as them. Uh, they were just waking up, having such vivid nightmares about their their time in Eastwood Park. Yeah, and let's stress so, and I think it's the real reason why we're doing this podcast. Mister Devaney does not regret any of this. He's not sorry for this, and he and he's not denying any of this. He he isn't, and his conduct in during the course of the court case uh, caused great distress to a lot of the victims, even on conviction. 
he refused a number of times to turn up for sentencing and had to be compelled through a court warrant to actually travel to Bristol Crown Court last Friday for the the uh, sentencing. So, I mean, he, he's, that that in itself creates an issue for victims who get themselves ready for court and psychologically prepared to go and do it. And then he doesn't turn up and it's back to the drawing board, two-week adjournment, they have to go again. So even in his, even currently, he's still inflicting pain on those victims. His demeanour in court during the sentencing, he sat at the back of the court with his arms folded. At times he, he looked away from proceedings, seemed almost disinterested. And at the end, he he merely ambled out um, without as much as a word. Um, there will be people listening to this who will sympathise with Mr. Devaney, who will be saying to us, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? You weak, was it weak, livered liberals? And, you know, this short, sharp shock will sort them out. They committed the crime, they're doing the time. And, you know, this was, this was a sound tactic. I think a lot of these people ended up remaining in the in the criminal justice system, that remains an historical fact, so it, it didn't work from that point of view. But the, but you know what I'm saying, that's how people will be thinking. It, it was another time, and it was this, I mean, we're calling it a borstal system, I know the names have changed. And I just wonder, like, I mean, not only that, I mean, I know people who have been in and out of prison, or, or have done prison time. Ordinary decent criminals now, uh, you know, I'm not talking about paramilitary prisoners or sex offenders or anything like that. People who just are criminals. And they always say the first two weeks are the worst, you know, the first, you know what I mean? And if, if you, everybody was just sent down in your first crime for the first two weeks, you'd be so scared because after that, you see, you get used to it, you know. But but nowadays, obviously, we it's people are sent, people are robbed of their liberty as an absolute last result. But you can't see how people, some people, well, maybe I'm phrasing the question wrong, maybe can see how, but we can acknowledge that people will have a lot of sympathy for them. Uh, yes, I can see that. And in some ways, a lot of the victims also had initially some sympathy for him. Um, I mean, he's an 81-year-old man. He was a husband, a father, a grandfather. He had a family and a, a totally separate life to, to what he had, had done in Eastwood Park. So, I mean, I think at the start of things, there may have been a remnant of sympathy from many of the victims. But as the court case progressed and victims began to witness a, t- a total lack of remorse, I mean, his defence counsel in court on a sentencing day said that he maintains his denials to, to all the charges so he has never accepted responsibility for for his crimes and what he actually did to those boys and I mean they were numerous and the, the detail of some of them was described vividly during the court case He would physically attack you with medicine balls drop medicine balls on you when you were doing sit-ups um, he had a bat he used to hit you with He used to cut electric flex and there was a thick electric flex who was mentioned in the trial and he used to get you to hold the monkey bars I think they're called monkey bars and he'd smack you on the backside with that I know you've mentioned that sometimes he didn't turn up to court and other times he seemed disinterested but um, did he speak in court? He did uh, at a previous hearing and this was something that was picked up on by the judge uh, one of the victims Andrew Parsons uh, in his impact statement actually mentioned this specifically and the judge also latched onto it at one point during the, the hearing he was asked if he would have been happy for his children to attend Eastwood Park Detention Centre and his response was that my children were brought up respectfully which really stuck on the craw of many of the victims because as Andrew put it he, speaking to me he said you know it, it wasn't his parents put him in Eastwood Park it was something he did himself and that that line from Devaney just showed complete contempt for his his victims, something the judge actually picked up on as well. He said that 
he, he didn't see his victims as human. He, he didn't recognize their humanity. To him, they were young villains and they were there for, for punishment. I think that's an interesting point because in, in modern times, the criminal justice system and the people who run prisons, for example, would say, well, the punishment is the sentence and they are there to, to look after the prisoners in their care. And it's not their job to punish. The The judge has done the punishment and it's the, but, but, but Devani, you know, I, I, I just think, you know, he's, he certainly is, was like somebody classist, conservative views, you know, in terms of how these things should be dealt with. And again, it's, I just want to, people maybe would judge him in terms of his own time and think that this is just the way uh, it was. But these were, his actions were extraordinary even in their own time. Mm -hmm. And the judge again made that point. I mean, at that point, there there was a certain amount of the, the short, sharp shock. But the judge made the point that even by those standards, Devaney went even further. He, he he was extreme even by the standards. The judge also said that he wasn't being held as a scapegoat for the system at the time. He was being sentenced on account of his own crimes and his own activities. I mean, some of the testimony from the victims is, is harrowing and it really vividly shows just how, I suppose, how he went about his business almost with, with relish and a lack of care. I mean, one of the... the Things referred to as you referred to in the intro was murder ball. Um, what was murder ball? Murder ball was, I suppose it's a kind of a misnomer. The ball was there almost as a distraction. It, it was placed in the middle, and he would. The judge said he would pit younger boys against older boys in this game, where the the said object of the game was to move the ball to the other end of the gym. However, in practice, what it actually turned into were the older boys and the younger boys fighting with each other. And one of the victims made the point that this made it very easy for Devaney to explain away bruising. Any bruising that he inflicted on his victims could be attributed to the game Murder Ball and, you know, accidental, I suppose, would be his way of, of putting it. He also had Sixer, which was a full-sized cricket bat, and Mabel, which was a long rubber flex. Now, anybody who names these things seems to me not... Not a very nice guy, no. But but again, he is defending. He is always, um, I suppose, defended his outlook, including his his, his racial uh, slurs, which the judge did say were commonplace at the at the time. So I mean, clearly. one of the things the judge also said is that Devaney during the games of Murderwall would often pit the teams as such on, on racial lines as well. Um, so I mean, that's another aspect to the to the offending. I mean, as well as physical abuse, there was psychological abuse and indeed much verbal abuse, including those racial slurs. And I mean, it's just, it was a deeply unpleasant place to be. And it's the descriptions of what happened are are harrowing in many ways. I can't second guess the learned judge who sat through weeks of this evidence and, and who, who sat down and, and made a decision in terms of sentence. But could we suggest that someone who's, def- the defence counsel said it was in poor health, he's a skin tumour uh, and he has cardiac issues and at 81, that if he had have actually pleaded guilty or expressed remorse and turned up to court, that he wouldn't actually have, he wouldn't actually have been given a custodial sentence. That's a possibility. I know, I know we're speculating here, but he did seem to dig himself deeper into the hole here. He did, and I mean, as the judge was delivering his final comments, it it felt very much that there was a heavy sentence coming. 
Now, three and a half years, the judge said, is is almost the most he could have given him. He said that it's Devenny's age in itself was not a mitigating factor. Um, and the delay in the case meant that the victims for a long time felt that justice would, would simply never be done. Um, he touched on the fact that he had continued to enjoy his life, his life with his family, his, his grandchildren, in the belief that his sins of his past career would never really catch up to him. Um, he did get sentenced to three and a half years. Um, for the three weeks before the final sentencing, he was in jail and very close to where Eastwood Park was. And that's something, again, that the his defence counsel picked up and said, you know, there were issues of safety there where there may have been children who went through that particular detention centre as children who are now adult criminals still in jail who may have known Devaney and uh, that that's something that obviously would have caused him concern but it's something I suppose the victims may have felt was, was a comfort to them too. A lot of time has passed obviously so how did these charges come about? These Initially there were I think there were a number of investigations into similar detention centres and many of the victims I spoke to said that they had that picked up on this in the news and had had it obviously resonated with them. I mean it's it may be things that they have buried deep in their their memories and, and wanted to move on, but when they saw other cases being investigated that they felt they needed to speak up. So they, they they went to police. As the numbers began to grow, I mean it was very clear there were hundreds of victims over a a lengthy period. Whenever all the statements come in the police obviously narrowed that down to, to 22 witnesses who they felt had the correct testimony needed to achieve a conviction. And those were the 22 with, with whom they moved forward. Um, this began, I think, in 2019 was when the first kind of, uh, the first reports were emerging. It's a case that's lasted almost four years with obviously COVID in the middle, delaying things further and causing more um, anxiety to the, the victims. But I mean, that, that's basically how it came about. He had been living normally back home in Northern Ireland and in, in County Down, and they had been living their lives where they were. And just as the report started to pick up, there was a kind of almost a Me Too moment where they all got together and they, they shared their stories. They shared them with police, and I mean that camaraderie was camaraderie was clear outside court um, on the day of the sentencing too, when many of the victims gathered to to hear him convicted and sentenced. Joining me now is Andrew Parsons to tell us his experience in detention under the cosh of Patrick Devaney while serving a six-week sentence as a young teenager. Andrew, you're very welcome to the Bell Tale. Tell me, who was Patrick Devaney? He, he, he ran the gymnasium. Everybody, it was harsh there, don't get me wrong, and you, knew, you went there for a reason, to be punished. But as we all know in life, there's punishment and punishment. He took it beyond to another level. That's why he is where he is today. He, I, I thought I was clever. I think I told your colleague this. Um, my mother's from Galway and all my family are from Galway. And as soon as I recognised an Irish accent in the, the Patrick Devaney, I made the mistake of saying uh, my mother's Irish and I'm half Irish, thinking that I'd be getting his good books. And he punched me in the face and that I'm a disgrace to the nation. So that was when I realised what you're dealing with. <laughs> I was 15 years old. He, he would have been about 34, 35 years of age. Uh, a gym, gym instructor, you know, a very fit man he was. Even at that stage, games such as murder ball 
um, yep. beating children with cricket bats, cricket bats with names and other torture tools with names. In this was something else, as you say. In in Murderball, it gets a bit rough and it, it very often turns into a one-to-one fight between one boy against another boy because of the aggression in the game. He would stop the game. All the other, all of us had to link arms in a circle. The two boys concerned had to take their PE vests off and they were told that they weren't allowed to hit above the shoulders or below the waist and they weren't allowed to use clenched fists. They had to slap each other for two minutes solidly. And if we broke the chain of the, the ring circle that they were in, we would be punished by doing more circuit training. After about 20 seconds, these boys were slapping each other with handprints all over their body. They were both in tears, because you can imagine the slaps sting like hell. And he and the other officer there that's dead and gone now, stood and watched as if it was like um, a gladiators, you know, as if it was just for their entertainment. You know, murder ball wasn't enough to entertain them. They had to find something else more brutal and aggressive on, on the boys. Do you think Devani enjoyed his work? He was a master at work. 13 years, 100 boys as an average went through his gymnasium. And he done this for 13 years. Just two young boys. What do you call that person? You know, it's evil. There's no other word for it. And then go home to family life as if it's just a day at the office. In them days, there was boys in there that had issues, special needs issues, because it wasn't detected in them days. They were sent there for petty, stupid reasons. And then them boys needed help. They didn't get help there. They, they, they got punished the same as all of us. And Devaney was very good at finding the weak ones. I don't mean this in a uh, callous way, but I was quite a, 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 a tough kid. You know, I, I, I was quite proud and took a lot of it without letting them see the tears, you know? But there was lots softer and weaker boys than me in there that went through more than what I did because they were weak, because they couldn't do the circuit training to the pace that Devaney wanted or whatever. So, yeah, he, he was a cruel man. There was lots of them in there that were cruel. You know, he wasn't the only one. But by far, he was the sheer volume of offences he committed on a daily basis outweighed everyone else. You know, he just enjoyed beating people. You know, um, I wasn't a, one of the victims of this. But in the court case, you obviously become privy to all other people's stories. And he come out of his house at, let's say, one, two in the morning, for whatever reason, go into that section where, there, I don't know, 20 or 30 cells, 15, 20 either side or whatever it was, and open several of them at random and make them chuck all the kit out, all their bed in, all their clothes, and all this sort of stuff. I mean, who would do that? You're at home in bed with your wife and children. What would make you want to get out of bed and go to do that to people? But he enjoyed his work. Yes, he did. He's been found guilty of misconduct in public office, um, which, and he's been jailed for that. So, I mean, it is a strange charge when we look through, you know, what it has been described in court and what and how the judge has described him any. 
but still, does it give you some sort of closure? To be honest, on reflection, I thought he'd get slightly longer than that. I appreciate he's an old man. I mean, the judge was definitely in in our favour. You know, he saw through Devaney in his summing up. I thought he he was very good, the words he used. But Devaney showed no remorse, even at the last minute. Three times we we turned up for that call for him to be sentenced, and he pulled every move in the book not to attend. And in the end, he had to go be arrested and brought back to the UK and put in custody to get him there. You know, 50 years down the line, he still wouldn't give us closure, you know. I, I don't know if I've got closure or not, answer to your question. The thing is, prior to this coming to court and being involved in the court case, it's always been in my mind. But with COVID and the rest of it now, you think about it on a daily basis. You know, with respect to you and this podcast, I, I was driving at work and a text message comes through, or would I be interested in doing this interview? So it's not going away, you know, uh, other victims. It's opened a massive, it's like a hornet's nest. It's just, uh, it won't go away now, will it? Andrew, Liam, thank you very much. This episode of The Bell Tale was produced by myself, Kieran Dunbar. The sound design was by Graham Davidson. Research by Olivia Peden. The clips you heard were from British Pathé, the BBC, Sky and ITV. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.